Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. All right, so here we are. We are moving into a new phase. Yeah, we are um, coming into design. You know, that's how I'm going to look at this, uh, (laughs) where we're progressing to. We are designing a neighborhood. We're designing a future. Um, What else are we designing, Sherry? Well, I just also, I don't want to be too cryptic for our listeners. We 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 are taking on the role of architects. And this comes from, if you've seen the show, The Good Place, then you know exactly what we're talking about. And if you haven't seen it, why not? Like, go, it's on Netflix, go go watch The Good Place. Um, but they are, without giving anything away, they have architects of different neighborhoods of The Good Place and The Bad Place. Um, and so rather than, you know, reducing what we do down to good or bad, we what we do is we're looking at the whole picture. So we decided that we are the architects of the holistic place. And that is the energy that we're moving into this next season with. Um, and we're also changing up how we're doing seasons. Like things are evolving over here at Anecdotal Anatomy. <laughs> we are growing. Um, as we have said before, we learned so much in the foundation that we set for Anecdotal Anatomy. And now we are making a transition to a new foundation, the foundation of um, a holistic neighborhood and using the body as our example for um, some of the science, but also being able to blend how the body functions as a holistic being, as a metaphor and a model for um, personal health, but also well-being in relationships, well-being in communities, uh, a collective well-being. So yeah, we're gonna drop a bunch of uh, science, beginning with one of my favorite systems, the fascial system but also metaphorically blend it with the stories of holistic well-being. And part of that is remembering that we are all interconnected. And until we can feel that wholeness in ourselves individually, it's it's difficult to even imagine that we are connected to every other being (laughs) in the sentient world. Um, And so we've always talked about part of our mission is to, you know, 
connect the individual stories to this thing, this collective. And so as we move in, the metaphor that we'll be using for the collective is the neighborhood. You know, what are the things that we need in our neighborhood to nourish our individual, unique expressions in the world? And then what are the things that connect us to all those others in the neighborhood that create a sense of holistic well-being on a larger scale? Um, you know, we also talk a lot about reflection. And so, you know, even if it's tiny bit of fragmentation or a tiny bit of violence that we are holding within ourselves, it can be clear that what we're seeing outside is maybe a magnified reflection of that. Um, did that make any sense? It made sense to me. <laughs> it made um, sense to me as well. I had a conversation with a friend and she was talking in relation to Ukraine. And as we approached this conversation, she said, you know, I just sat and thought, what can I do about different places, not just Ukraine, but any place that is experienced unrest or violence? She said, you know, it's really hard as an individual to decide what it is that I can personally do that's going to have an impact. And it aligned very, so beautifully with what you just said. Her... Um, solution for herself was to reflect back and notice the times in her life when she was acting aggressive or trying to take something that did not belong to her or you know coming into different situations and pausing to look at them and say okay what am i seeing and how does it fit into my personality and what are the small changes that I personally can make by building a deeper awareness of when I am acting aggressively? Because we all have those times in our life where we react rather than act and to be mindful enough to notice them, pause, and then be able to consciously choose to do something a little bit different and maybe create a new pattern of how we approach different subjects. And it can be as simple as picking up your own trash. You know, I used to think we want world peace, but we can't even throw out our own trash. You know, that you, you walk on the beaches and you see all sorts of crap that people have left behind, you, flicking cigarette butts out the window. You know, what do we think is absorbing all of this? Our, our earth, the thing that gives us, that sustains life for us, we are just sort of flipping the bird to her all the time. And so, you know, if we want certain things to manifest outside ourselves, we have to do the work you know, from home, we've got to be able to <laughs> pick up our own trash and recycle when possible. Reduce, reuse and recycle. That's my little yes. PSA for the day. <laughs> when I, um, as a, you know, I, I like to be out in nature. I go to a lot of national parks, national parks and state parks and many other hiking trails have a sign. Carry in, carry out. Like, don't leave your stuff behind if you could bring it in. And your pack gets lighter on the way out because the things that you would be dropping on the floor, on the ground, are probably a water bottle that's now empty. So you, you're reducing your weight, but whatever you carry in, you're reminded. Carry it back out, find the correct receptacle, and let's not leave it behind for somebody else to pick up. Right. So in our neighborhood, we would just ask if you come in to, you know, leave it better than you found it. <laughs> in any way, it could be the smallest way. It could be you're smiling at your neighbor. 
you know, that's leaving that moment better than you found it, especially if you kind of approached each other from a neutral or, you know, less than neutral space. Yeah. So in any, yeah, in any great architectural design, I like that we're um, becoming architects because last season we talked about archetypes and patterns. So here we are jumping in and adopting a new archetype for each of us. But in any great architectural design, we have to have a vision, a concept, be willing to explore, and then to develop something new or expand on an existing um, development Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. So that leaves us with lots of options of places that we can talk and relate this design back to how the body, how each of our individual bodies Mm -hmm. are designed. And we've already laid that part of the foundation talking about the koshas going from the subtle to um, the physical, or in reverse, the physical to the subtle. We know that none of them come first, and none are bigger or smaller than um, the previous kosha. We talked about embodying, and you know we reviewed those, so go back to episode 23 and 24 if you wanna dive deeper, or start at the beginning, um, and really dive in deep to all of these concepts. But now we get to design the holistic place. And build, like we get to build on what's already come before. So, you know, we talked a lot about a lot of subtle body stuff and a lot of gross body stuff and then the embodiment. And now we're using this, this model of the body to explore healing, well-being in the bigger, you know, we've already talked about this individual and collective and the fascia system. Teresa is the expert here, but she has turned me on to this whole idea of fascia in the body. And, um, you know, many years ago, you all know that Teresa was my first anatomy teacher, but she was the one who sparked the interest. And I took, I think, three additional anatomy trainings just so I could wrap my right brain around part of it. You know, it was hard for me to connect and insertion points, origin points, you know, um, synergist, agonist, all of these words. were really hard for me to to put into any context, to understand them in their functions, not just, you know, isolated, but how that means as a whole person. I was learning anatomy to teach yoga. So um, not to just rely on the verbal cues that had been passed down, but when I would look at someone, what could I see that was that could be helped, that could be moved, that could shift, whether it was energetic or physical? Um, And so this is why this whole anecdotal anatomy was born. It was to kind of take the the very dense, very linear, very scientific data of the body and contextualize it and give it, um, animate it through story and animate it through um, different lenses. And so here we get to build on that and now return to that thing that sparked it all, which is the science of the body. But we have... We have reference points now. We have landmarks that in this neighborhood that we have set up along the way to map out. You know, we are in some ways, we're cartographers. We're creating maps so that we can, you know, maybe take the detour sometimes, as my mom would always say. <laughs> and I'm, I'm excited that we're starting with the fossil system. And I want to begin by saying that no matter who I study with, what classes I've taken, and how much I've studied the body. Yes, 
I learn and have a level of expertise, as everyone does, in the things that we study and that really spark our interest, that we jump, are willingly jumping into the rabbit hole, um, following those carrots, <laughs> so that we can learn more. And what I find fascinating about that, or fascinating about that, is that every time I've studied, every class I've taken, every teacher I've up-leveled to, I learned from. But I also leave those classes, those courses, with a new passion for learning ignited, knowing that no matter how far I dive deep into the rabbit hole, we can flip it over and just, you know, use a different metaphor that I'm just standing on the top of that iceberg where there's just so much more, so, so many more places to grow to and to develop. Starting with the fascial system is interesting because in science and in musculoskeletal science and in the background that I've had with massage and yoga, um, it's not the first place that we start. We start in something that's much smaller by coming deep into the skeletal system and working our way up to the holistic view. So flipping the model in our architectural neighborhood to start with this overarching view of a plan and then finding out um, how we can distill it down into some of the um, smaller I don't want to say smaller, some of the more specific mm -hmm. systems of the body. So I'm going to ask you a question because we're going to get deep when we start the conversation. You know, really, we're pouring the foundation right now. And so from a foundational viewpoint, what are the aspects of fascia that lend themselves well to this model of a neighborhood? How is it that fascia can help us understand our individual natures in relationship to this collective? Oh, thank you. I can go You're on welcome. with this. For I know, and I want to hear you say it because it just gives me all the feelings. <laughs> so fascia is part of our connective tissue system. And that's what we're talking about when we're designing um, a neighborhood is this connection that we can build first to self, but then out into families and community and relationship. Fascia is going to give us the form and the function to build upon. And some of its qualities are amazing. Like first I'm gonna say, it is beautiful. It's iridescent and it glistens and it shines. Um, when you see it under a microscope, uh, you see photographs that uh, have been taken of the fascial system. It's, it's just liquid. And I'm not saying that it is fluid, uh, like actually liquid, but when you look at it, you can see this sense of hydration through it. It connects everything in the body, but so that we know that there's this collective, right? Each and every part of our human body is connected to every other cell in the same way as a collective and a universe we all have an integrated um, connection to everyone that surrounds us. But at the same time that it connects everything, it also separates each and every cell, the different fibers. So it creates the space for individuality and self-expression. It 
listens. It's the great communicator. This system houses our communication receptors. And what better way to build a community than to learn to listen deeply to the subtleness of communication and to strengthen our ability to be in communication with each and every part of that neighborhood. It's elastic. It leaves room for us to grow and spread and stretch, but also not to lose our form because we're going to rebound um, and come back to a nice cohesive shape. Um, it's sensory. It helps us to get in touch with our own feelings, our own emotions, and to experience the world through how we feel, then come into thought. And, I, you know, as a body worker, I've learned, and we talked about this in embodiment, sometimes we don't really know how we feel. So when we slow down and take time to listen, we can get in touch with that what is sometimes referred to as our sensory organ. Mm -hmm. um, and it listens in such a way that it will deform. The body continues to deform. And so does a community or a neighborhood. It's in constant states of evolution. So we deform. But the other amazing thing about fascia is it reforms based upon request without a bias. The thing that we want to focus on there is what is it that we're requesting, right? right. When we know what we're requesting by knowing that there's these great communicators, now what we're building is by intention. Mm -hmm. uh, I love all of this and it all just makes it, it gives a different feeling when you walk into a neighborhood with that information. Um, the other things that you've said to me that you've discussed before is the first thing I'm surprised you didn't say the fabric of form first. You did bring it in later about the form that it comes back to the form. But I remember, I don't know if we were watching this together, but there was something where they said, you know, that it, it, it gives us our form. So our butt doesn't look like our butt because the glutes are shaped that way. It's because the fascia contains it and gives it that shape. <laughs> I don't know why the butt just always makes me smile. So I, you know, I'm going to use that. Um, but also the thing that you've talked about with fascia is that it holds our secrets and our stories. And so we do a lot of storytelling here and I'm not advocating for lying or for keeping secrets, but I also believe that there's a time, you know, that people don't need to know everything about you. You don't need to, you know, mm -hmm. if you've met someone on the street and they overshare, you know, you kind of walk away feeling beat and tired or whatever, or like that person really overshared. Mm -hmm. um, that maybe there's a sense of um, containment within the fascial system also that gives us a boundary <laughs> around the stories around the things that we do share. So um, I guess I'm kind of reframing what a secret is there, but but it's a real thing that happens. And so we're not, we're looking to create uh, this healthy build and architect this, um, this a very healthy, holistic neighborhood. But we would be remiss if we didn't also address the imbalances that happen in our lives and the things that we embody, the things that we express that are um, a little bit lower than our highest vibrational selves. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder on the fabric of form. <laughs> There's just so much and, uh, you know, you can't share everything at once. So 
but the fabric of form, um, when I said it's holistic and it binds and separates everything, if you can imagine your body, um, somebody that you're looking at right now, if you're listening, uh, and you look at that or look at yourself in the mirror, we can remove every system in the body. We can take away the heart and the lungs, the skin and the bones, each of the systems that you can think of, the blood vessels, the nerves, everything is wrapped in this connective tissue that we're calling fascia, that if we removed every other part of the body, you would still see the tip of your nose, the top of your ears, and you would be able to see the outline and the form of each and every cell and each and every organ. So that's how integrated. And if you want me to bring it into maybe a more simpler term, we can think of, and I'm again, you know, I've said a couple of times I'm gonna age myself. So I'm aging myself one more time. <laughs> we can think of fascia as the world wide web. Remember when we couldn't go anywhere on the internet without typing in www dot <laughs> and then, <laughs> We would go out, but if you can picture what that is and maybe bring that organ of communication into um, a, uh, a metaphor of Google. If I go onto Google and say, hey, I want to get a book on architectural design. Hey, Luna. Hi, Luna. Every neighborhood we know. Thank needs Thank you. A Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, you know. All right. Settle down. <laughs> uh, there must I be a deer walking down the street. Yeah, every neighborhood needs a dog because they take us outside on walks and that's how we meet our neighbors. Thank you, Luna, for that reminder. They do. And in my neighborhood, just a little digression here, in my neighborhood, um, do you remember the show Northern Exposure? Yes. Uh, with John Corbett and um, it was supposed to take place in Alaska. Uh, well, in the beginning when the moose was just walking down the street, the middle of the street. Well, we have a very uh, no sidewalks here and it's a very, you know, lots of trees. and um, But there's a family of deer that live across the street. And sometimes they just amble really slowly down the middle of the street. And that sends Luna off. All right. Another, so the, we, we will not have that in reminder. our <laughs> That's just another reminder of how connected we all are, right? That as humans, sometimes we think there, there's us and then there's nature, but really we all live in the same neighborhood. But coming back just to finish the World Wide Web, um, if I want a book on architectural design or designing a neighborhood landscape design, that's something I really like, and I go into Google and I type it, I won't be able to go anywhere again without seeing an ad for a book on landscape design, right? Because the communications network is so integrated that it's inseparable. And it'll show up on Facebook, on Instagram, on your email, it'll show up anywhere. You know. <laughs> Sometimes that maybe doesn't feel quite so good. Right, hello big brother. That, <laughs> that we're that exposed, but um, there is yeah. this high level of um, communication. So let's, I want to read something. Well, unless you have uh, something you want to say, I just wanted to read what I, in some of my research, what I found on neighborhood planning. And I think that's kind of a way to tie this story together as we're building, uh, and we have now become architects of a neighborhood. Neighborhood planning gives your community the opportunity to plan your local area. 
to decide what the place you live in should look like and define how your neighborhood can grow and change for the future. And if we took that into an individual um, body, we could use the same definition, what we eat, how we take care of ourselves, what we sleep, how we plan to grow in a holistic, healthy way for our own individual future, or our family, our friends, our neighborhood, uh, the universe. And within that, this holistic development of community, we're looking, when we look at holistic healing in our bodies, we look at the whole body. So looking at the whole neighborhood from this bird's eye view with all of that in the planning, you know, we have to address relationships, you know, because nothing really exists without being in relationship to something else. We live in a very relative world. Um, we could have other discussions that take us more philosophical, but that would be for another season, another time. Um, but what are the things of a neighborhood that we, we need to sort of think about as we're building? So the um, holistic development and community addresses all of the spiritual, physical, social, economic, educational, religious, and I'm gonna also put spiritual because it's not always one or the other, um, environmental, athletic, and cultural conditions that make the community thrive. Now, I would also add some functional logistics in there, you know, restaurants and shopping, yeah, we got that too. We've got, you know, hunting and gathering, um, post office, police, fire, uh, libraries, museums, all of those things, you know, and some of those would fall under cultural or, um, but inspirational, you know, outdoor places, gathering spaces um, where there's nature, you know, water, um, tra uh, trails, you know, the swimming pools, places where people can, you know, community gardens. I know we talked about that the other day. Um, but these are all aspects that if we were to break them down, we could assign any of these to any of the koshas. You know, that this building of this neighborhood was a deliberate piece of this progression that we are on. You know, starting with the koshas was not an accident. Moving into embodiment was a choice. And so with all of that, that was, you know, we were talking about we're pouring the foundation. Well, I think we've poured the foundation. I think the first two seasons are the foundation for where we're moving. Um, and that we get to tap into this fascial system. I know when we were talking the other day, um, language came up. And, you know, it's important also that not necessarily that we all speak the same language, but that we're oriented around a similar language. So that when even when we're trying to translate different things to each other, at least we're coming from a common place. We're coming from a common understanding. And so I'm going to let Teresa talk about the Fascia language, um, which was just so interesting that um, there's this guy, Gil Headley, who I'm going to put in the in the show notes, which are wherever you're listening to this, little notes underneath, um, links to him, um, but also in the newsletter, uh, because he's got these great, you know, talks that he does about fascia and other and anatomy. And um, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. But what he talked about the other day was really fascinating. And Teresa, I'm going to give it over to you for that. The when we the institute not institution in what's the word the Fascia Research Society the 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 word that Neil whatever his name was um, institution uh, uh, inter interstitium <laughs> interstitium <laughs> so thank you this Language. story um, is going to be in brief but researchers obviously have different lenses through which they look at the body and. 
a researcher had uh, published a paper about the interstitium. And when it was read, it was so similar to the fascial system. And as the fascial researchers looked at it and they collaborated with um, the different research lenses, it became apparent that they were talking about the same thing. But everybody was approaching this tissue in the body throughout a different lens, their own specialty. And what it led to was a discussion at the Fascial Research Society when I was at the symposium. They started it with, with a um, presentation about language and how as research and science begins to grow and develop, because research in the fascial system is somewhat new, whatever that somewhat new is defined as, but somewhat new. And it became apparent that people were often talking about the same information, but using a different, different words, different terminology to communicate the same tissue, the same concept, the same research. So this is something that there's a lens on, there's focus in the planning to come up with a language that everybody is sharing and using. And they did finish the discussion by saying, this might take some time for us to refine our language. Um, and just to, for um, my basic understanding of what that interstitium, interstitium is, is that when Gil Headley talked about it, he said um, he couldn't call the connective tissue that wrapped the membranes or the, the smaller pieces, and I know I'm not giving the good visual, um, because he couldn't slice it into a thin sheet, which is what um, he could call fascia. It was the same material, but it was dissected differently in the body, or at least bisected, dissected seen from a different angle it was smaller but it was the same material it just couldn't be called fascia and so this interstitium was that same material but the language would would have suggested that they were different but just because I don't know can you clarify what I just said <laughs> that's your job Teresa <laughs> make sense of my words <laughs> I think what might be a really great way to clarify that is if we put Gil Headley's um link in our yes. show notes because he is the expert and he is so engaging when he speaks he's an amazing teacher his website is abundantly filled with um, information if you want to learn more about the body but he is a is masterful about blending anatomy and mindfulness um, anatomy and reverence for the body. And also, he's just such a great presenter who can take um, really complex concepts and bring them into small bite size bits yeah. so that we can build one bit of knowledge on top of another. He's a great organizer of information, a dissection anatomist who looks at the body with with honor yeah. and reverence, but also from a very scientific lens. And I think and he would he, do a great job. And he also understands what it's like to witness the work that he does. Um, in one of my anatomy trainings, we watched a dissection he did of the superficial fascia. And it was really hard to watch. 
Um, so what he did was every few minutes or so, he would cut to a bucolic scene of, you know, a brook of, you know, running water or of a sky with birds flying or something to kind of cleanse our mental palate so that we could return to the the important study that he was presenting for us. And the reverence for the form was so clear. Um, yeah, he's just a great, a great resource. And at the same time, he's linking the elements of nature to the elements of the body. We are the same as nature. We share the same elements. We um, not only share them in our form and our function, but we share them with each other. Right? We share the air with the trees and the plants. We exhale carbon dioxide, they exhale oxygen. So not only is our form constructed of the same elements, um, we share them and offer them in a cohesive relationship back and forth with the natural surroundings. And I think that those breakouts that he does in a very subtle way link each of us individually to that collective, to that neighborhood of nature that we yeah. walk through each and every day. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, every time we talk about the architect thing and you talk about dating yourself, I always talk about revealing my TV addictness, how much I love TV. And when we started this conversation, yes, we borrowed the the model from The Good Place. But I kept thinking like George Costanza, I want to call myself Art Vandelay. You know, <laughs> hi, yeah, I'm an architect. Uh, I'm Art Vandelay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, because we do, we go back to these little stories and you know, I just want to talk about that for a little bit. You know, anecdotal anatomy, the science and stories is um, what this is all about. And I think the, the power of story, and this is how I view it. I had a teacher in massage school, Jeff Mann, um, and he was, is an amazing storyteller. And when he would tell a story about what we were learning, it really piqued my interest because he's so great at telling a story. But what I found was that the lesson that he had offered that was a science lesson or anything else we happened to be discussing at that point was linked into the same file cabinet in my brain as the story was. Mm -hmm. And the story was a way to conceptualize things that may have otherwise been difficult for me to understand that right brain that we're talking about. And what happened as I progressed in my massage um, profession, and I would find myself next to my table, I'd be working on or working with a client and a story would pop into my head. And, I, and at first I thought, wow, that's a really interesting story I remembered. And maybe it took a couple of times, I don't really remember, but finally it clicked, so maybe I'm a little slow, that the reason the story was popping into my head at that particular time while I was touching and working with somebody else was because the information that was linked to the story was, was relevant to what our goals for a session were. And it opened a file cabinet to let me review Mm -hmm. some of the science or techniques that were linked to that story. That's very cool. Yeah. 
there was a teacher, a local teacher here named Ula Britt, who I only took class with from a couple of times early on after uh, moving here. And she had us in Warrior Two longer than I've ever held Warrior Two in my life and probably won't ever do that again. But it was one of the most satisfying experiences. She told the entire story of Sita and Ram, um, who are Hindu deities, um, while we were in Warrior Two. And then she um, she did half the story and then we went to the other side and she told the rest of the story. Now, I love mythology. That's one of my one of my loves, one of my passions, one of my nerdy things. And I think I've mentioned it on the show before about King Arthur was kind of my my foray into mythology. So it's not so much Greek and Roman or even Hindu mythologies, um, although I have grown to love the colors and the stories and the deities and um, because they they're meaningful. There's there's a connection. There's a context for me being a yoga teacher and being someone who's been practicing for a long time, um, there's a deeply rooted, almost a DNA of the story within me now. So when she did that and she told the story, I I don't think at that point I had heard the story of Sita and Ram. Um, I remembered feeling like at one point the burning in my quadriceps <laughs> faded into the background as you know as as uh, as hanuman is lifting the mountain and you know taking the medicine back like the stories the images she was providing um, didn't take away the experience in the body, but it created a relationship and it allowed me to focus on something other than the discomfort, which sometimes happens in relationships, a little uncomfort, discomfort. But it, when I did my yoga teacher training and was ultimately going to do my final, my final project, I called it Mithasana. And I went through a lot of the books and I, I just, I taught an entire class, but telling the story, the myth behind each pose as we were going. So it had a cool soundtrack to it. It was a whole production, but that was because I had this teacher who introduced this possibility um, of creating context through story. And it just, it changed my life. And that really um, kind of synopsizes what we're doing is that yes this is science and stories but it's not designed to be a replacement for other science that uh, you're going to study for whatever your goal is it's science that will be presented through stories in ways that we can embody it understand it conceptualize it but not in an effort to be confusing because you know this is a audio podcast. There's not a lot of visuals that go with it. So it's not about diving so deep that it's going to be confusing, but to help us to make that connection between how our body functions and how we can build a stronger neighborhood and a stronger community. Through stories, some facts, um, no you tests. Know, there will be no, no tests. tests. Yeah. No, no essay or multiple choice. None of that. No textbook. Nothing that, I mean, we will provide some resources if you choose to dive deeper. But the expectation is not that we're going to have this heavy science. We want to present it in a light and accessible way, blend it with mythasana, which is really like now in my brain. Uh, and to come in, I'm going to quote you now, uh, Sherry, to come at it from a point of a quote that Sherry has said before on this show, our body is what we all have in common. 
And if we can gain this deeper understanding of our body, how it form, what its form and its function is, how um, sensations move through it, and maybe a, a deeper understanding of the fascial system, but also the other systems of the body in a format that lends itself to storytelling and science. And sleuthing. You know, I mean, we know that there are different ways in. So like, um, you know, in the Indian tradition, when we learn through yoga, the right side is more male and the left side is more female. So context clues. When my left side goes out, I have three daughters. Almost all my animals are female. You know, I know that something is going on with a female in my life that I need to address. So whether or not that is empirical data that is suggesting that, oh, if something's on your right side, it's definitely a male thing. What when we when we believe things, when we take things in, when we learn things, um, we can use them. Like we said, we're cartographers as a map to understand what may be going on. So it gives us clues, context clues as to which kosha may be revealing uh, an imbalance or an excessiveness or a deficiency or however you might want to look at it. I know in some people, when they um, have studied the chakra system, they study it as excessive or deficient in the various areas of the body and, and their meanings. And other people see it as just, you know, a releasing of a chokehold to come into balance um, rather than trying to assign uh, a certain um, judgment to it. And neither one of them are right and neither one of them are wrong. It's, you know, how, what do you, what do you use? What is right for you? And so I don't know, unless you have something you want to say in here, it feels like a good time to bring the, our practice in to kind of tie this all together with our chakra colored ribbons. Yes, I'll just add one more thing yeah, before we move into that. Since you talked sure. about maps, we will look at different types of maps. We'll look at the meridians or the um, maps that Tom Myers has created for anatomy trains. These are also different ways for us to look at balances and imbalances. When um, they're working in their optimal function, we move with grace and glory and glide through life without maybe discomfort from the physical body. But out of balance, maybe we can see that, you know, a shoulder's too high, or we have, going back to your metaphor about right side, left side, um, maybe also the map that links into why is that low back on the left also hurting? What's the physical map that we can look at also and blend the two together? So we will do that with so many things, the chakras and the spine, um, the meridians and the uh, fascial anatomy maps. So there's just, this is the starting of um, the foundation of our neighborhood and it will continue to grow and grow and grow so that the individual well-being becomes the collective well-being. And then you move out of the neighborhood and you find another place to live, right? <laughs> Come on. Okay. So um, in these, Teresa and I are going to um, 
we're going to pass the torch at one point. This is, we're, we're going to be doing a body scan. We're going to move up the body and we're going to come down, we're going to move down the body. Uh, we mentioned the chakras. I'm not going to go into a lesson on the chakras, but I am going to use them as the landmarks as we rise up to um, sit with our more subtle energies, give you a sense of the elements we're working with, um, if you are more visual and color is something that works, then I'm just going to give you some possible landmarks. And then Teresa, and this is um, the, the rising energy is designed to kind of help us move from the gross to the subtle and move into a connection to something bigger than ourselves. One might call it divine energy. One might call it universal energy. Um, whatever it is that resonates for you is the moving up. The moving down is an opportunity to take that energy, that big collective energy, and draw it in and root it back down so that we can live in this world. <laughs> you know, it's we all know people who are floating around, all magical beings and, uh, you know, also, you know, sort of in the upper realms. And we've talked about this before. And then we know the people who are only in the lower realms. We want to find this this balance so that we can be magical, be divine, and yet at the same time, pay our bills, be in relationships, you know, be able to hold down a job, all of the things. So this is the work we're going to embody here. So I'm going to ask you to take a seat. And I know you may be seated. Um, if you're driving, please keep your eyes open. If you're doing an activity that requires that you focus, uh, maybe do this later or just listen and see what comes up without going too deep. But if you're seated on the floor or in a chair, make sure that your spine is nice and long. So allow your tailbone to get really heavy in relationship to the lightness of the crown of your head that may feel a tug, a slight lift upward. So in doing that, there may be a feeling of lengthening through the spine. You can allow your eyes to close, or if that's you know not happening, you can allow your gaze to drop to four to six feet in front of you and then connect with your breath. Feel yourself breathing in and feel yourself breathing out. Notice the points of contact to the ground. So your root, your tailbone. Imagine your tailbone all the way down your legs to your feet and then back up. So that hole from the feet to the tailbone, that's your root, it's your earth energy. This is you with the right to be here, claiming your space. But if you're feeling something different, notice what that is. It could be a certain stability or an instability, depending on where you are in this moment. So maybe the color red, if you're feeling unbalanced here, maybe wear red underwear, red shoes, red socks but allow yourself to feel that descending energy of the earth element. Then allow your imagination to rise to the space where your thighs crease, I call that the sacral space. And the element there is water. So notice, maybe your body begins to shift side to side. Maybe there's a natural movement in the hips, even as you're sitting still. The color there is orange. And because it's water, there's a sense of flow, of birthing. 
actual birthing of things, of humans and of ideas, of creativity, of flow. But we often think of birth, sexuality, creativity. And then allow your imagination to draw your awareness up to your solar plexus, that soft spot where the bottom ribs kind of come together. The element there is fire and the color is yellow. Sometimes this space is described as peeling away from tribal energy. You know, we come into the earth element and the water element. This is all part of our what we were born into. But when we hit that fiery solar plexus, this is where we can begin to assert our own independence, our own will. The fire transmutes those things which do not serve. And sometimes fire can get out of control. So find where you are. Are you feeling overdone there? Or maybe yeah, I need to rise a little bit there. Put some oxygen on that flame. There are no wrong answers and they change every moment, every day. Allow your awareness, your imagination to see your heart space. Now this color is sort of an emerald green. The element is air. And here is where we are the receptacle of love. We receive love here, but we are also the givers of love. This is that space, that open space of compassion. Air is, you know, one of those more unstable elements. So notice how you can contain the air here. In some places, they say this heart space is the ceiling to the lower elements and the floor to the upper elements. So we're right smack dab in the middle where we can express our compassion, our love, our empathy. And then we rise to the throat space. The elements here, yeah, they say ether, ether, and sometimes I add vibration in there. I don't know if vibration is an element, but together this vibration and this feeling of ether creates the space where we communicate. The color here is blue. So when we communicate, it's not just what we're saying, it's how we say it. It's the veracity of our words. It's our, as Stephen Colbert would say, our truthiness or not. It's our volume. Are we loud talkers? Are we very soft and meek? But it's also the place of communication where we listen. And we talked about deep listening. It's our space for communicating. Notice where you are with that today. And as we rise up to the space between the brow, what some call the third eye, we begin to move beyond elements. But here we can put thought as a potential element. And there's a choice of color too. It can be indigo blue or violet purple. Notice which one you gravitate to first. And then you might change your mind and come back. And this is the space of intuition of knowing things, that deep knowing without necessarily cause. Notice when you've had moments of premonition. Notice maybe even those very deep feelings of 
um, counsel that you have for others that come in from that deep space of knowing. And then finally, we rise up to the crown of the head, the very, very top of the head. And if your third eye was indigo blue, the color at the top of the head would be violet purple. If you chose violet for your third eye, the crown of the head would be a white, pure white. And maybe you've changed your mind again for the third eye because you want the crown to be white or, in, or purple. But this is the space where we open up all of this energy that we've been rising up the, the central channel, opens up through the crown of the head to connect you to that thing, that thing that is bigger, which could be God, it could be nature, it could be the universe, it could be the tree outside your window, your dog, whatever it is that you feel is bigger than you, that is an organizing force in this world that keeps you doing all the things you do, allow that connection to thrive, to vibe. So even though we're beyond element here, maybe the element is light. Are you backlit? Are you lit in the foreground? Are you lit from within? So we moved from earth to water, to fire, to air, to ether and vibration, thought and light. And notice as you made that journey, what may have shifted in all of those spaces and all of those energies. And now gathering up that energy and coming into a place of noticing your body to embody all of this light that you've just touched. Begin to notice the space around your eyes, all the muscles that rest around the eyes, in front of the eyes, behind the eyes, deep in the socket. And if your eyes are open and you're staring, or whether they're closed, connect with vision, with sight. What do you notice? Where does the sense of sight focus. Then we allow for ease in that space, allowing your attention to begin to descend to the space of the jaw, becoming aware of its position, maybe releasing any tension grinding, clenching, allowing that there to be softness for the tongue to rest. And at the edge of the jaw, we can become aware of the space in the ears, the place where sound enters the body this connection to music, to voice, to deep listening. And 
And once we connect with our ability to deeply listen, come back to the mouth, noticing if there's a taste that's lingering. Begin to notice the shoulders and their position without seeing, but depending on this sensory perception. What's their position? And can we bring a little bit more ease as they rest and gently create more space between them and your ears? We'll allow our attention to continue to flow as the mind's eye gently descends down the space of the spine, becoming aware of this gentle flow, the back body bringing us down into a grounded sensation in a very fluid flow of movement, the water element descending Allow the attention also to rest here in the torso in all the spaces that move with breath. So as the breath flows in, feel its expansion. Feel the lungs as they accept the air as it enters the body. This symbiotic relationship to the space around us as the breath flows in and the change in the movement as the breath flows out, knowing that this is our connection to each other, to nature, that we share this element of air through our breath. So we feel the body open. and allow it to gently release, taking with it any residual holding on. And as the mind's eye continues to descend, imagine just beneath the lungs, the diaphragm, this powerful muscle that draws the breath into the body, descends into the space of the organs, and the abdomen opens. And as the breath flows out, the organ, the diaphragm ascends, finds its home beneath the rib cage, and the organs have been massaged. So with the next breath, notice, can you feel your organs? Are you aware of your stomach and the sensations it's communicating? Is there hunger or thirst? This will bring us back to that seated root, noticing all the parts of the body that are connected to the earth beneath you 
the sensations of the seat, the tail. The soles of the feet. And as we take this journey back down to our groundedness, know that we can return here any time we choose with this journey of ascension coming up from our groundedness to the light and then coming back and each time that we return in each moment we're a little bit different and this from this place of returning to groundedness Connect with your ability to manifest, to create. Allowing that grounded sensation, the soles of your feet to be your invitation. Welcome to the neighborhood. I don't even want to speak, but I think we have to end this. <laughs> so please join us um, for our next our next episode where we dive into the creation of this neighborhood through the fascial system. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our Grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you're so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos.